Well, thank you, Alex, team, for leading us. And we are going to turn to the Scriptures to consider the Word of God. And so, won't you turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to consider that passage, or the passage from verse 11 down to verse 15. Exodus chapter 2. So one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Just so far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, singing these words this morning, again, just to even repeat our desire that your Spirit would be at work among us, that your Spirit would fall upon us in mighty power. And Lord, not just in the moment uh, for an experience here, but Lord, enabling us uh, to live out your purposes for us, to be the kind of servants that you intend us to be. And so looking to you, praying for your ministry to us and among us today, in Jesus' name, amen. I think there's a number of verses in the Bible that many people like, but there's one in particular that I want to refer to this morning as I introduce uh, the passage. Uh, many of us have found great comfort, uh, inspiration, perhaps we can add to that, from the words of the prophet Jeremiah when he uh, spoke to the people of God uh, in chapter 9 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Why do we like that verse? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that that verse appeals to us because we know that meaningful life getting up on Monday morning and living through Friday and Sunday and next week and next month, meaningful life unfolds in a context where we know there is purpose in our living and there's direction. We know, we know where we're going. There, there's, there's purpose in our lives. The opposite of that is an aimless, ambling Perhaps we could even say meandering, stumbling along, living a life without any kind of meaning or purpose or hope. Well, as we turn to this passage this morning, I have no doubt that from an early age, this young Moses must have grown up constantly hearing from his parents I'm thinking specifically of his mother, but more than likely his father as well, hearing that God had spared his life 
for a particular purpose. We could even say for a great and, and good purpose. Moses, my boy, you all have had mothers, and you know what moms can be like, repeatedly reminding us, repeatedly talking. Moses, my boy, you need to know that you must be a special child. A few years ago when you were born, all the other boys your age, all those that were born then, were drowned. Their lives were taken from them. Your life was spared. God saved your life, Moses. You need to know that on, the, on, on that particular day, we, we placed you in a basket, and just what seemed to be the right time at the right place, the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, came along, and she adopted you. She took you as, as a Hebrew child that was doomed to die, de doomed to death, and providentially adopted you into her family as her own son. Am I right? I think so. I think repeatedly, uh, Moses, God so worked it so that, that, that you could uh, be in my care, that I could nurse you, that I could raise you for those few years, and then the bottom line, God must have a significant plan and purpose for your life. And so that leads me to my first point, because I believe that she was right in her assessment, because God raises up men and women to serve Him. Look through the Bible, through the spread of the Bible. Uh, many of us will remember the story of young Samuel. Remember lying in his bed where God called him and he thought it was Eli. But God had a purpose. God had a plan. There, was, there were others alongside of or, 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 or followed in, in different seasons and chapters. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And there's no doubt at all that David, the anointed king and, and beloved of God. Uh, these were all men. And not to forget the woman, my favorite character, uh, one of my favorite characters, I should say, in the Bible is Queen Esther. Living her life out, getting to that particular point in time where her uncle Mordecai uh, uh, says to her that, that has, and, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, God has a purpose, God has a plan, there's direction, there's meaning in your life. Now my point is this. Not only them, but every Christian, every single Christian believer has a life of purpose, direction. God has called you, every one of you. There, there, this, this thinking that there are only certain people that God calls, as it were, to full-time service, th that's not accurate at all. God calls every believer, every believer, and He calls you to fulfill an intended purpose. That well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 2, starting off on a rather dark note, uh, describing every human being as, as those who are, are lost and, and condemned in their transgressions and, and sins, uh, followed by the grace of God and, and God making them alive and, and coming to the end of that section, making the point. Verse 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's you. That's me. God made you as a human being. But when you were born again, 
the reality of that second work of creation is, this, is that, that there is an intended purpose that God has for you to fulfill. That verse continues, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So my question uh, this morning is, have you taken any time lately, or perhaps at any time in the course of your life, to consider, to consider what good works has God created you to do? What good works has He intended for you to walk in? Now I want to stir some thinking uh, in line with that question. It surely must have something to do with who God has made you to be. So this week, this past week, we were in the game reserve, uh, and we didn't see any lion, we didn't see any leopard, so lots of impala and zebra. And, and do you know that uh, zebra, I was reminded this week that those marks, those stripes on the zebra, it's like our fingerprints, they're different on all of them. And so my point is, as people, we're all different. Every one of us sitting here this morning, there, there isn't one like another. We, we're different. And so who has God made you to be? Well, in the very first instance, we need to see that God has made you to be a creature in, made in His image, an image bearer. And so the purpose, one of the purposes that God has for you is to be one who reflects the image of God. And that means a life of sanctification, the eradication of sin and, 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 and the molding into the likeness of Christ. You're an image bearer, the purpose of God. But it goes beyond that. Your personality, your talents, your spiritual gifts, God has given to you when you were born again, an ability to serve in the local body, whether you're an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot or, or something different, the variety of gifts coming together to serve the intended purpose of God. In 2021, I have to add a category. If you're a man, God has called you to be a man. If you're a woman, God has called you to be a woman. And I want to even back that up a little bit further. If you have XY chromosomes, you're a man and therefore need to live out your life as a man. If you have XX chromosomes, you need to live your life out as a woman because God intended you to be a woman. We can continue in other categories. As a husband, God has a purpose and plan in the way that you conduct yourself and the way you operate loving your wife as Christ loved the church. As a woman, as a wife, conforming to God's designated role. So do you get the picture? You are an individual made by God, born again by the Spirit of God for good works. But I want to dig a little bit deeper because there's, there's another step that we need to look at. It must also have something to do with what I would describe as the inward call of God. That inward prompting and stirring. Particular role in a particular place. Edley shared with us this morning, I got the date second time around, 1994. The Spirit of God prompted him stirred within him, moved him 
to serve in the Mozambique school of the Bible. Others among us called. Uh, certainly I know my own story. God uh, convicting me, convincing me through a passage in the book of Ezekiel. I looked for a man who would stand in the gap on behalf of the land and I found none. God, God challenged me by that verse. As we read the New Testament in the book of Timothy, uh, those who are elders, we, we said he who aspires to be an elder, there's an inward sense of calling, a desire to be this because God is at work in you to will and to do according to his purpose, having a call to preach. You know the passage, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. But how will they hear unless they sent? How will they be sent unless they called? There's a calling, the inward call, a burden to show compassion, a heart to give. These may be uh, truths that apply to different people, even here this morning. A passion to teach, so filled with the truth of God that, that, that you want to share that with others and, 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 and others having uh, a willingness of hands to surf. Well, God raised Moses up to deliver the Hebrews from suffering and oppression. We read in chapter 2 and verse 24, because of their groaning of slavery, crying out to God for help, God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. Moses, an instrument in the hands of God. Raised up providentially through the working and, and sometimes we would even say the mysterious working of God and prepared in the course of his life for the task of rescuing the Jews from the hands of the Egyptians. Which leads me to my second point, is that God prepares men and women to equip them for service. Now, chapter 3 is a wonderful chapter in the book of Exodus. We're going to get to know something more about God. We'll be reminded of something more about God in that chapter. But before we get to chapter 3 and we read of Moses and his encounter with God, we see that God prepared him for service in the context of life. And in the first instance, in the home being raised by his mother when he should not have been alive, when he should have been in the palace, but, but with his mother, uh, his mother and father, instructing him to revere the faith of his fathers. Learning, learning from them, growing up, knowing that he was a son of Abraham. I have no doubt that he would have been told and repeatedly told the story of how God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, how the Lord had promised Abraham that he would make him uh, into a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. These were precious uh, treasures that were shared with him, uh, that, that they repeatedly shared with him. <clears throat> He would have heard, he would have learned that God had told Abraham that they would be strangers in a country which was not their own, that they would be enslaved and ill-treated. Back in Genesis 15, we have the record of that. He knew, he would have known that the Lord had promised to punish that nation, that they served as slaves, and that they would come out with great 
possessions. Do you get the point? The preparation in, in, in view of this, this great purpose that God had intended uh, for him. And even when he was relocated, along in his teen years perhaps, relocated to the palace, now as the adopted son of the princess, God's preparation continues. The next point that I make is God prepared him for service in the context of the palace. In that foreign context and culture, much of the culture of Egypt rubbed off on Moses. Allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible, we see Stephen in his sermon before the martyrdom, he gives some insight uh, to the kind of preparation. Acts chapter 7, verse 22, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Moses would have received the best instruction in reading, writing, archery, uh, training in administration, mathematics, astronomy, chemistry, music. Now, what, what's my point? Don't underestimate the value of the pathway in what God is doing in your life. Sometimes we think speculatively, God will use me then, and, and now is irrelevant. The point is, now is relevant. Because whatever that season is, God is using that season. One stepping stone after another stepping stone, each stepping stone being used of God, nothing is wasted in God's economy. Each season, every circumstances, even the varied life issues that we have to face, the difficulties, the blessings, God preparation in your life, sanctifying you, shaping you preparing you to accomplish His purposes. Well, we find here Moses developing, we would say, uh, describe him as a fine servant of God, uh, prepared for service, uh, standing at a place poised to lead Israel out of Egypt, and then he does a stupid thing. He does what so many of us Today, raised up and prepared by God, seemingly having all our ducks in a row on the verge of great things for God, leading me to my third point, some servants take matters into their own hands. This little boy that had been in the basket had now become a man, been taught much, he knew of his Jewish heritage, Joseph and the king that did not know Joseph, educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians, Stephen telling us, mighty in his word and deed, on a given day, in a moment, impulsively, he steps forward and he does something, takes action. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, he looked on their burdens. Now, now, I want to back up a little bit so that we, we see something of the larger context. But the Holy Spirit, through Stephen, tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And I mention that to show the time of preparation that had been taking place. But also helpful to see 
that God was at work during this time. Because Hebrews 11, one of the passages we looked at last year sometime, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now the reason I'm backing up before we get to the blunder again, I want to show you that here is a man who's developing and growing in his spiritual maturity, in his formation, in his shaping. And he gets to a particular place where he's prepared to give up a wonderful position as the prince of Egypt, giving up the opportunity of wielding power from that particular position, and surely he must have been surrounded with everything his heart desired in terms of prosperity. He's prepared to give it up. He's willing to reject these three things, the biggest temptations and attractions that we even face today. Leading me to my next point, that servants of God are called, like Moses, we are called to a life of self denial. And there's a challenge for us in that in 2021. Because the, the temptation, the danger is to pursue prosperity and power and, and position and, and, and to work our fingers to the bone and forsake the family and to forsake God and, and to, to acquire these things. What for? Temporal wealth? In fact, I'll take it a step further. If, if any of us were advisors to Moses, life coach, what would we have said to him? I think it would go something like this. Moses, are you mad? Look, look at the position you're in. Use your power to, 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 to uh, save the people from the Egyptians. Use your resources, access to the armies and the chariots and the soldiers that which is at your disposal to bring relief to suffering slaves. It's not what God called him to do. God calls him to take the low road of self-denial, to identify with the suffering people of God. God had so put it in his heart. And we too also need to understand the need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. There is that denial, self-denial, that repeatedly comes through in the scriptures. If any man would come after me, Jesus said, he ought to deny, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The apostle Paul was willing to forsake all, identifying for the, with the sufferings of Christ. We do face a challenge in 2021. Professing believers very often refuse to extend themselves or to stretch themselves out of comfort zones for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his kingdom. How about you? It's, it's easy to speak in generalities, but what about me? What about you? How far am I prepared to, to stretch myself how far am, are you and I prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel for the salvation of men and women? This is a soul-searching question. 
Does God, do the purposes of God get the leftovers, the incidentals? Or does He have your life as a living sacrifice? Romans 12. Well, Moses, we have to commend him, did the right thing by denying self. He knew that God had called him. He understood something of the preparation that had taken place. Uh, God had put compassion and passion into his heart for the people that were suffering. But even in that context, in a moment he acts recklessly, like a bull in a china shop. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one. He struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. His hot-headed action in the midst of him growing as a believer, his stupid and foolish action, which was actually blatantly sinful, teaches us my next point that servants of God can easily fall. Like there's a lesson here for, for you and for me, for all of us. Moses, in a moment, made a blunder, a sinful blunder that led to consequences. You and I, in an instant, in a moment, in a given circumstance, in a situation, can, can make a stupid decision, can do something foolish and unwise. It is true, yes, Moses acted in faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's true that he determined in his heart to follow a, a course of self-denial. But he fell. In those moments, he acted as one believing. And here's the, the lesson for us in, in the church. In those moments, he acts as one believing that he can do God's work his way. That's the problem. Big problem. You see, his heart is bursting with passion, compassion for these suffering people. He's, he's filled with empathy. He really feels for, the, for them and he wants to see them delivered. And he wrongly assumes that he can be their savior. So it's in those moments out of step with God that he took things into his own hands, doing more damage than good. Bringing that to the future, to the present, we give that kind of approach names like expedience, short-term success, or we speak of pragmatism. Well, it seems to work. Let's do it. We can so often be deceived into thinking we can help God along. You know, the work is a bit slow here at Central. Let's, let's cut a few corners and let's create a few. Let's help God do His work. We end up making mistakes. We understand the call of God to gospel ministry. We understand uh, the call to radical discipleship. Uh, we, we know that we need to be zealous, and, and, and yet there are times when we become impatient. Under pressure to succeed from others. I know we pastors feel that. Why, why isn't my church doing as well as his church? Pressure to succeed. What do I need to do? to take a shortcut. But even others, we as members of a church, can be so caught up by the culture of the day. 
And we can end up resorting to futile shortcuts of expedience and pragmatism, thinking we're saving the day. Let me give you some examples. Adding to or taking away from gospel content. That's that's the most common mistake happening. Don't speak to people about sin because it offends them. Let's rather just speak to them about the love of God. So we'll take away from the truth of the gospel. We'll do God's work our way. And we won't trust the scriptures that tell us that it is the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. All of the gospel. So we don't add to it. We should not take away from it. Because adding to it and taking away from it actually is a profession of not trusting God. Refusing to distinguish between emotionalism and Holy Spirit-stirred and inspired spirituality is another shortcut. Stirring people up, cajoling them into some kind of uh, false sense of spirituality. Uh, In that same line, confusing entertainment with God-glorifying worship. Well, Moses blew it on the back of misdirected zeal. And it led to some consequences. My next point, where servants of God suffer the consequences of their sin. As we read on in Exodus, eventually God used Moses in his way, God's way. And we'll grapple with that a little bit more because Moses uh, disagrees with God along the way. But God uses him in his way to accomplish his intended purpose I walked in at the hill this morning and I noticed uh, somebody was reading a book, a well-known book, Pilgrim's Progress. used to be a well-known book. I don't know if it is anymore. And immediately my thought went to this point in my sermon. And I thought to myself, yes, just like Christian, Moses went via Bypass Meadow. And we Christians, many of us, instead of staying on track, instead of continuing in, in the course that God has led us and directed us and informed us in, we get distracted and we go via bypass meadow. Moses ends up spending many years in the wilderness away from Egypt while the people of Israel are suffering, breaking stones, sweating in the heat of the sun. And the exile of Moses, we see, begins the day after the murder scene. Uh, verse 13, when he went out, and I won't read the entire passage, there's this response uh, from the Hebrews. Uh, Also the next day, and uh, Moses ends up facing at least two problems. Because of his action, his impulsive action, he places his life in danger. Pharaoh wants his head. Yes, he had authority to strike a slave driver, but he could not commit treason. And by joining the Israel or the Hebrew liberation movement, he was cutting his ties with the Egyptian kingdom. So, so personally, he's in, he's in danger. The other problem was that Moses, who supposedly now must be the leader, by his stupid action, ends up losing credibility with the Hebrew people. They rejected his leadership. Rather than them showing respect, they regarded him with contempt. Uh, Stephen, in his sermon, explains this in Acts 7. He supposed, that is Moses, that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. 
They saw Moses instead as a meddler, not as a mediator, as a murderer who had no right to enter into the role of self-appointed reconciler and peacemaker. Again, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling, tried to reconcile them, uh, saying, men, you are brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you ruler and judge over all of us? This does lead us to an important question for us fallible people today. With all of this hanging over him, uh, how then could he lead the nation out of Egypt? Despite or because of the blunder? And the answer is grace, and we're going to see that working out in days to come, where God continued work in Moses' life during these long years of exile uh, away from Egypt. Which leads me to my final point, where servants of God must submit to discipline and receive grace. Discipline is hard. None of us likes to be disciplined. None of us likes to be corrected. And none of us very often like to acknowledge that apart from God's grace, we have no hope. But both of these are necessary, and both of these are good. Just an observation in pastoral ministry over years, we have on occasion had to address various people, few people, I don't think there have been many, in issues of discipline at Central over the years. Some have submitted and humbly come through it, having grown in grace. Sadly, others have thrown the toys out the cot and resigned from the church and just go to another church. That's, that's often what happens. And uh, my observation is that these folk who will not submit to discipline end up church hopping. They just go from church to church. Because it's not long at the next church where they also run into trouble because the problem is we take ourselves with us. We, we need to learn to submit to a leadership, to an eldership, to a church body under Christ. To learn, to learn, to grow. Not allowing grudges and bitterness to dominate. Well, Moses, he learned. God's work of grace continued and he became a great and useful instrument in the hand of God. A couple of comments in conclusion. Number one, I want to encourage you. If you are a believer yet today, be assured that God has purpose and plan for your life. That's very important. It, it, it can be in the workplace as an engineer or as a, a gardener or, or as a teacher. As, wherever you are, God, God has a purpose for you. Uh, serve Him. That, that plan is not about becoming powerful and prosperous. God's plan for, for every believer is connected to redemptive purposes. Gospel ministry and grace. Rescuing people from sin. The second is a challenge. So there's an encouragement. Your life is not meaningless as a believer. Amongst the seven or eight billion people in the world, those who are believers, man, you can be sure your life is not meaningless. But that life 
this is a challenge, is a call to self-denial and obedience to God. It's a challenge. Consider that. What is it that God is asking you to forsake? Where is it that God is asking you to extend yourself or to stretch yourself for the sake of His church or gospel ministry and His name? And then I think a third challenge that I would want to raise from this passage this morning, and it's the one of submission. And these verses have made me realize that willingness not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Taking the low road. We can be doing so well spiritually, but man, when we become presumptuous in a moment we can fall. And so not to think of ourselves beyond falling, beyond temptation, and beyond doing things that will damage the work of God and our own walk with God. Be encouraged in the big picture. God is at work. His purposes to fulfill. And so, Lord, in each of us today, whether it be just us considering who it is that you've made us, or, Lord, who it is uh, that we sense, uh, that inward call that you're asking us or prompting us to do, whether it be here or further afield, pray that you would enable us to respond in submission to you. And, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from ourselves, especially from presumption or uh, unthinking uh, behavior, impulsiveness, and lead us, Lord, in your ways, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.